It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Pumped hydro. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne. We're syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and also podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. <laughs> Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe and rate us so that that helps others find the show. My name is Kay Winnigal and today I'm joined by my co-host Michael Steindl. Hi Kay, hi everyone. Great to be back for another show. People are becoming much more aware of the ramifications and severity of climate change and are pleading for more action. That's evidenced by the fact that in recent by-elections, climate change has been the main issue. A Melbourne council, Darabin City Council, has the distinction of being the first local government in Australia, or perhaps the world, to declare a climate emergency and establish climate emergency Darabin. To explain the implications of a climate emergency declaration, we're privileged to welcome Susan Rennie, the Mayor of Darabin City Council, and Tiffany Harrison, Executive Officer of Climate Emergency Darabin. Hi Susan and Tiffany, thanks for joining us. Hi Kate, it's great to be here today. Thanks for having us. Good to have you here. So Susan, tell us how did the Climate Emergency Declaration in Darabin come about? It's been very much driven by community members who... Um, actually contacted many candidates before the last council election and said that it was their expectation to see council act much more swiftly and um, with much stronger action on the climate emergency. And those community members actually reached out to so many candidates and got them on board with the idea that once the new council was formed following the elections, it was the first thing we did to declare a climate emergency. And that's amazing, actually, isn't it, that they had the power to be able to do that? Uh, Yes, absolutely, and I think it speaks volumes for the power of community when people actually reach out and speak to people and change the conversation that's happening. Mm. And is it the first council in the world that's declared a climate emergency? Yes, Starabin is the first council in the world that's declared a climate emergency, but we've started a wave because there are many other councils that have followed. Really? Oh, so I heard numbers a little while ago, a few weeks ago it was about 300 and now it's 450? Yeah, at at the moment it's up to 407 councils from around the world. Um, So Australia was the first um, nation that embraced the climate emergency movement. Darabin was the first and then we've had others across Australia. And then the US now, there's been multiple councils across the US which have declared as well. And the UK, that that's been a big wave of, of a lot of councils across the UK which have declared um, predominantly this year. And then also now we have Canada and Switzerland. Wow. Which is pretty exciting. Isn't it amazing? That's and, really spreading. And the evidence seems to be that this was seeded by Darabin, that one council showed it could happen. Yeah. And, and are they talking to you? Are they getting help? For, I know Darabin's very keen on sharing the intellectual property in this, aren't you? Are they consulting you on how you did it? 
Um, some councils are getting in touch and there's still very active community members in Darabin who are reaching out, even travelling overseas, speaking to other councils and spreading the word. Um, and we're looking at doing more work in that space in the future, um, using technology to actually get in touch with other councils mm. and to talk about not just declaring a climate emergency but the work that has to go um, behind that. So having a climate emergency plan and having a clear sense of the actions that you're going to take so that it's not just hollow rhetoric. That, that's a really interesting thing because it's one thing to declare a climate emergency but the very next thing has to be a plan because otherwise, as you say, it's hollow rhetoric. Just before we leave that, um, we should acknowledge some of the people, that the residents that um, came together to do this. I know Philip Sutton of Climate Code Red was prime motivator in this. Uh, Jane Morton. Who else was behind this? So Adrian Whitehead and Bryony Edwards. Oh, okay, Adrian, um, one of the founders of, of um, BZD. BZD. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you know, and I think we are so fortunate in Darabin to have people with their knowledge and passion and understanding of just um, how significant the emergency that we're facing is. Mm. Mm. So about five years ago or so, um, when I was in, in Melbourne, I went away for a couple of years, um, I was working with Philip about looking at what a climate emergency response could look like in Darabin as a prototype and then I came back to Melbourne a year ago and it's actually happening so it's it's so exciting to see in that five-year gap what's what's happened in reality. Well what sort of forward thinking is that though five years ago you're already discussing that and and now it's happened that no one else was talking about it five years ago. Yeah and and that's part of the conversation around the climate emergency as well I think five years ago um there were a bunch of people in a room who were talking about climate emergency. Most people in the climate movement were saying the language was too strong, it mm. wasn't appropriate, we needed incremental change. A lot of the organisations are still talking about um, you know, change by 2050, mm. which is not going to save us and not going to get the, the outcomes that we need to be able to have a livable planet. Um, and so to see I, this, the rhetoric around climate emergency has really shifted in the last couple of years and I think that's a big part because local governments have taken that leadership role of a government at actually acknowledging the climate emergency, using that language and being bold and showing true leadership in that space. Absolutely. And now over in America we've got um, the Democrats talking about their Green New Deal. It's really, even though there's no, no information on it, really, they're still building it all, it seems like it's grown up out of your climate emergency plan. Yeah, I, I mean, part of the the um, the whole strategic context of this movement of local governments announcing a climate emergency is trying to get other levels of government to respond in a climate emergency framework as well. So it's really it's it's very important that local governments are taking this role. They're the closest to the people, and they can do a lot of action on the ground in this space as well. But it's up to state and federal level to really really take this on. Um, so it remains to be seen exactly what the Green New Deal will roll out but um, in terms of scale and and of operations across the whole of the economy within the US that they're talking about and also speed is really important so we need whole economy rollout at at speed within the next few years you know within the next decade um, across all economy sectors yeah I so think they were talking about things like a hundred percent renewables by 2030 and zero emissions by 2030 so that, that certainly is at speed mm. a, a similar sort of speed that you're talking about yes and we need faster to look at you are, aren't you? yeah faster. faster i mean we've been talking about 10 years uh, a, a speed of transition for the last couple you know couple of decades <laughs> yeah. so as you know as soon as possible really we've only got in terms of beginning this shift we've really got the next couple of years are going to be critical so the next two years um 
but yeah, we need it. We need it at least within a decade. But we also need to talk about drawdown as well. So we not we can't just talk about dealing with um, emissions in terms of what's already existing. We need to have massive and really fast drawdown of emissions if we're going to reverse global warming. So that's what we need to to restore a safe climate is to reverse global warming. So Susan, bringing it back to um, we mentioned making sure it wasn't empty rhetoric. Durban Council, to, from my view, has been exemplary, and um, they came in and said. We've done this, we've declared this, how do we make it happen? You've very promptly organised a massive climate emergency conference to get community input. And tell us about the steps you've taken so far, what, what your plan is. Well, the first thing we did was to develop a climate emergency plan, so we were clear on the different areas where we needed to take action. And they included um, things like mobilisation and leadership, so how are we going to actually make sure that it doesn't stop with us because Mm -hmm. we know that one council by itself can't do much, but if every local council, if cities took control Mm -hmm. where state and federal governments are failing, then we begin to make a difference. Oh, did you tick on that already? (laughs) Yes, so so we're we're getting there. Um, Energy efficiency, so really being sure that we're doing the work we need to do um, within council to make sure that we're modelling you know what mm. needs to happen efficiency before renewables well that that's, that's it. The easiest, you know yes yeah. um, and then thinking about renewable energy and fuel switching so that you know we're modelling what needs to happen and encouraging that to happen within the and community stop using the fossil fuels yes um, consumption and waste minimization and that's been a huge challenge um, for councils particularly in victoria you might have seen that our recycling system just about collapsed mm. a, a month ago um, which really pointed to significant difficulties um, and market failure. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, one of the reasons we need state and federal governments to step up is because we can't rely on markets to do this job. Yes, um, yes. You know, so there's a whole lot of different domains for mm-hmm. action and we had to identify all of them and then think what steps can we take as a council. And the climate emergency conference that you mentioned was a big part of the mobilisation piece mm-hmm. and, and spreading the word and we had... Um, representatives come from councils all over Victoria and it was really good particularly to see people come from rural councils as well because we didn't want this to be something that was just um, recognised by a handful of inner city councils. And we started to talk about the targets before. The councils set quite strong goals for 2020, haven't you? Yes, so we want to be zero emissions for council operations and the community. Um, One of the ways... So the entire zone is going to be zero emissions, not just the council? Well, that's what we're aiming for. Um, One of the ways in which we're really trying to get the community there is through a massive solar program Mm -hmm. um, called Solar Savers. We were the first council to really get into this space where we help community members put solar on their roofs at no upfront cost and they take on um, the cost onto their rates to be paid off over 10 years. And that's made solar appealing to an extraordinary number of households, people who might not ordinarily have thought it Mm. was within their reach. And um, we're having hundreds sign up, and and that's rolling out really effectively. It must be, because there are other state governments now that are taking that up. (laughs) Yes, yes. So, so, you know, we've seen other councils looking at, at, at Darabin's model for solar savers, and... Um, one of the things we're particularly proud of is that we've prioritised low-income households, renters and other people for whom solar might ordinarily mm. be out of their reach. But you do have very limited control over your um, residents in, in how much you can force them to go zero emissions. Is is that solar program the only lever you've got to pull? Look, it's the primary lever, I think, mm. um, and the other thing and is... And can that, that get you there? Tiffany, can I ask you to comment on, um, you know... 
what, whether we'll get there and and what that's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's, in terms of community zero emissions, there's a lot more engagement that can be done. So where um, one of the things is we're trying to roll out a community mobilisation um, element of this, of the climate emergency response. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be talking to people about what they can do in terms of climate emergency response, but in terms of zero emissions, a lot people do have a lot of opportunity to, to change their emissions. So there's energy efficiency they can do in their homes. There's the, the solar programs that Susan's been talking about. We're looking at other, in terms of solar, we're looking at other mechanisms as well to, to open up that market to people beyond um, the household um, you know who can put on a, a solar PV system, but there's there's also transport is really important. But transport does have a lot. Of, you know, areas of transport are difficult for a council to to fully implement. So we need to be able to work as well with the state and federal governments to be able yeah. to implement some of these areas. So some of these areas that we're talking about zero emissions, we do do also need to do advocacy outputs to state and federal government to be able to to change regulations. So that will also be important in terms of building codes, that, those sort of things that will also help residents in, in terms of reaching zero emissions. So there's plans to, to look at a full community zero emissions plan mm. within the next couple of years and, and trying to work out exactly what elements will be done. Um, and there's also in that context as well, we're looking at drawdown and, and waste elements as mm. well of what can be what can happen from household waste. Okay, so can I want to come to that, but, but obviously, um, just to round that one out, a lot of your success is going to depend on that education and engagement mm-hmm. um, role that you've specified for yourself. Yeah. Okay, I was just going to go get back to drawdown. There's not enough spoken about it yet. Can you explain that a little bit more for our listeners? Yeah, so so drawdown really refers to um, the the drawing down of um, greenhouse gases. So there's... The very title of our organisation, we're going to get to zero emissions and beyond. Yeah, exactly, and beyond. And beyond is really important because that's often missed in terms of what people talk about with uh, with, um, greenhouse gases and what's existing. So you've got got a source and a sink for greenhouse gases. So the source is is where emissions come from and then a sink... Um, is where the emissions get stored. So um, at the moment, the oceans are a massive sink for our greenhouse gases, and that's also problematic in and of itself. But um, our the, the key element is our forests. So our forests are a massive sink for carbon. Um, and what's happening at the moment, which is um, driving this issue as well, is that there's massive deforestation. So in Victoria, we have the most carbon-dense forests in the world, and they're mm. being logged. Um, so we need to have better policies around this so if we have massive revegetation across the world that that's one element of where we can we can get our drawdown and that's from. also other state forests like uh, sorry yeah. other states like Tasmania yeah. and Queensland yes absolutely yes it's one area diverging a little bit where our state government which on the whole is better than many on sustainability and climate change is really letting us down isn't it that forest thing yeah it, it is and it needs to needs to change you know yeah. it's not economically viable as well for Victoria mm. so yeah it's a bit of a tangent but that that's really important in terms of when we're considering that and then also um, our agricultural systems and um, increasing our soil carbon as well is going to be a really important sink that we can we can so is the um, council doing stuff on that well we're looking into it so we're um, at the moment there's a, a waste review in terms of um, the um, waste and how that's managed and, and carbon benefits and also looking at drawdown in that space and if there's opportunities for something like biochar to be utilised. Um, but there's also, um, we're looking at developing a drawdown plan which would look at 
waste options plus also revegetation. There's there's plans within council around increasing the amount of canopy cover by 20, 25% across mm. Darabin, so that's important as well. I think you have one of the very few biochar production plants in your council. Area. No, it's, in, outside, it's it? in Manningham. Yeah, oh, okay. in Manningham. So we're one of the few in, in Australia, yeah, but yeah, it's, right, it's in Victoria. Right <laughs> but um, yeah, a bit, bit mm. of the next suburb. If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Susan Rennie and Tiffany Harrison from Darabin City Council about their climate emergency declaration. Susan, what's the next step with this? Where are you at? I think there's a couple of things. Um, The big piece is persuading now state and federal politicians that they need to act. We're really pleased that our um, local federal member now refers to the climate emergency, so we've actually got that message across. We need it to be more than a kind of reference. We need it to see action at a federal level. Um, we need our community to be even more on board and spreading the word and taking stronger actions and we need to really keep going with the work that we're doing and so that you know we can demonstrate that leadership because I think every time we actually take really strong action you know if we look at our solar savers program that led to a whole lot of other councils doing the same thing and you know that's that spreading of action that's going to make a huge difference in the end. Have you been able to measure the community engagement at all? Um, We don't yet have full measures, but we are doing quite a lot of work actually researching community attitudes and how the Mm. community receives different sorts of messaging and what messaging is most effective at getting people to understand that um, we're in a state of emergency and we need to act with speed. That's been such a vexed question in the climate movement, hasn't it, that... Major organisations, NGOs saying, no, we can't talk about scary stuff like an emergency. We've got to have nice pictures and places you love and things, but it just hasn't worked. No, absolutely, Michael. You know, and that's a a significant debate and a tension that's existed even within council initially was, you know, we heard from some of those more traditional climate organisations that the messaging was a bit strong, that no, that didn't sit well with them. But we've seen a really significant shift just in the last two years since since we started using climate emergency messaging Mm. and saying, no, this is what we expect. And what we've also seen, the more we talk about it, is that this language and this way of thinking about Mm. it actually sits comfortably with people. The the community, by and large, gets the fact that this is an emergency. And I think this is why climate is becoming such an election issue because the community yeah. is sick of pretending that it's going to be okay and and soft language around climate change and a steady as it goes kind of approach to to doing something about it and there is abundant evidence that emergency messaging can work extremely effectively the aids thing that was scary campaign but You've got to give people solutions at the same time for that to work, I think, is the message. Absolutely. The solutions piece is is really important because there's no point telling people it's an emergency and then doing nothing because that leads people to think it's hopeless Mm. or to not believe that it is an emergency. And and that's why um, we really want to make sure that councils that declare a climate emergency don't don't make that declaration and then do nothing because it's quite at odds with the whole message. Mm. Um, But also, you know emergency plus action can lead to people having a lot of hope for the future and a real sense that um, human beings have extraordinary capacity to overcome adverse circumstances. We have extraordinary knowledge and understanding and technology available to help Mm. us and that's very achievable if we act. Paul Gilding's great disruption said we'd leave it right till the last minute and beyond and then act with amazing scale and speed which is where we're at now. And I wonder, just your messaging has just triggered a whole lot of people's thinking because until now they've been too scared to do anything because <clears throat> there has been no solution. And now you're saying 
we have to do it quickly and here's what we have to do. Mm. And all of a sudden they've realised that they have to demand that sort of action from their politicians. What, what's it meant politically? Like, Has there been any sense of um, buyer's remorse of the electorate saying, oh, yes, we want this, and then suddenly, oh, but we went too far there? Or is, are they actually saying, yes, we've gone the right way? I've had nothing but positive feedback from our community. I think we um, we live in Darabin. It's a community that was really ready to see action that understands the issues. And um, many people, I think, very proud. You know, I get a lot of messages on, on Facebook and, and other social media platforms from people saying, I'm proud to live in Darabin, to, to have the council that was the first in the world to do this. And what about businesses? How have they taken it? Um, and what are they doing? We haven't yet reached out to the business community as much as we would like to, and that's um, a piece of work that we're still looking to do and thinking about. But our businesses generally are part of our community and share the values of, of our community, and I know many businesses are doing the same kind of things that householders are doing in terms of looking at their own emissions and thinking about how they can make a change. So we did talk a bit about the um, the need to get this messaging out to other levels of government because a local council is limited in what it can do. Have you made any progress there with state and federal government levels? I certainly think we've had influence on our local um, politicians and I think um, that's one of the benefits of many councils declaring climate emergencies that now each of those councils can actually go and speak with their local members. So local members tend to be most influenced by their own constituents and by the people who live in their area and that's why it's really important mm. that this message spreads outwards and as many councils as possible. I think your local member has raised it several times in Parliament, hasn't she? Yes. Mm. So that, that is a local federal member. I, I think with our current federal government have, expecting to have a lot of influence is possibly a big ask, but what about with the state government who are more on board with your ideas? How cooperative has that work been? Look, we have very good relationships with our state politicians, but I'd say They've been a little bit slower to embrace the language. I think that's partly because there's so many other things happening at a state level in terms of the priorities of the government. So, you know, there's a bit of, of talk of action, but we haven't yet seen the state government embrace that idea that we're in a state of emergency and we need emergency responses. I think that we've still got some work to do in that area. So this goal of 2020, is it doable? Well, I think it's doable if we get state and federal support. So again, it comes back Doesn't to a lot of it. a lot of the the policies and a lot of the action um, is is dependent on on higher policies and and how's that going? Well, again, it, it it's um, I think that there's there's more work to be done, as Susan's saying. There's, so we we do really need to work with across all levels of government, and um, that's a key thing that of the climate emergency plan is to is to work really closely and um, do a lot more advocacy work with state and federal government to get this happening. Mm -hmm. I think climate's never been such a significant issue at a federal election and mm. um, that makes me very optimistic. I, you know, we're going to see a change of government. Don't jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, we've got independent candidates coming out you know, looking really viable and, and primarily on, on the climate issue. We've got kids going on strike, just, you know, demonstrating that, that they won't stand for it anymore. They get the fact that it's a climate emergency, that, that adults have kind of screwed things up and, and put the earth in incredible danger for, for their generation. Mm. And I think there's a kind of momentum that's building and that's only going to get bigger. It's mm, a very good point. I think you're absolutely right. So we've talked about the stakeholders and your electorate. 
What about people within the council itself? So, you know, you've got your climate emergency action movement uh, group and you've got the councillors on board. What about the staff in the council? How are they going? Uh, so that's um, within the environment team. I think um, there's been pe- people have really embraced this so that they also want to see change happen and they've... Um, they're across the work that they're doing it really fits in so a, a, a whole bunch of the solar savers programs and all this work that's been going on to date really um is aligned to the climate emergency messaging and i think the challenge that we have within council is to look at how do we make sure this is across the whole of the organization um so that within all of the different departments climate emergency is a key priority and that's that's part of the climate emergency plan is to look at all of the different policies within council and to reframe it within the climate emergency frame um, and that will take time as policies come up for for review and renewal um, but there has also been work done with um, in, engaging and educating staff around the climate emergency so particularly at the management level but that's also um, major plans this year is to do a lot more sort of in-house um, engagement about what really the climate emergency means what that can mean for a, for an individual staff role and for a whole um, department and for the whole organization mm. When you, um, Susan, when you talked briefly before about the core goals of your climate plan, you concentrate obviously on the efficiency and renewable energy and waste minimisation. There's also divestment, which I think is probably self-explanatory to our listeners. But you also have a, a goal around adaptation and resilience for, for the things that, that we can't stop in climate change. Can you tell us what the council's doing on that or either of you? Um, look, that's, I think, a goal where we really need all of council um, being on board. For example, our aged care team works a lot with vulnerable older people who live in their homes and those homes might be poorly adapted for extreme weather events. And so that's actually where I think all council staff members right across council can make a difference because they can actually think about what do we need to do for older people in their homes, for vulnerable communities, so that they have safe spaces to go when there are extreme weather events so that there are plans in place if, if there's an emergency and, you know, I think we're seeing our staff really embrace that as part of their role and we know we can make a difference. And final question for both of you, what's this meant to you personally? Well, for me personally, it's it's been a massive thing. As I, as I was saying earlier, five years ago when we are looking around what sort of action was happening around the climate movement, it was it was quite frustrating even within the climate movement. I, it was just not matching the science and what we need to do. And so it's still a lot, lot more work to be done and it needs to be really um, massively scaled up and, and sped up. But there's hope here in terms of having climate emergency movement grow and spread. And then also I find that this way of talking about the climate emergency has spread across a, a whole bunch of different sectors and now we've got the kids rising up mm. and striking and I think, yeah, for me personally, there's, there's hope in and what's happening And the Extinction here. Rebellion. So my background's in health, not in climate, but, you know, I, I sort of realised there are no healthy people on a dead planet mm. and um, making sure that we get our response right and that we act at emergency speed and with conviction on fixing this problem that human beings have created is really fundamental to achieving good health for our community. Well said, Susan. And thank you both very much for your time today. That's a pleasure. Keep thank the you. great work. We've been speaking to Susan Rennie, Mayor of Darabin City Council, and Tiffany Harrison, who's the Executive Officer of the Climate Emergency Plan for Darabin. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne. 
and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can help donate to cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.